I want to begin with a story that grew out of um, out of the, out of really northern Africa in a place called Egypt. And in Egypt, there was a missionary there. And uh, I will just put the disclaimer out right up up front. I don't have, I can't verify this story. It's a story that has been circulated greatly. So I tell it as uh, one that. I think fits in those categories of faith-inspiring wonder, but doesn't sound like it comes outside of the realm of what God could do, God would do. The story is told of a, of a man who was a Muslim who came home to discover his wife uh, reading a Bible. And in his anger, uh, he took her life. They had two young girls, and he took his... Um, wife out and buried her in the sand and the two girls were crying and wondering why dad was doing what he did and so he buried them alive in the sand and uh, as it turned out that report of that came back to the authorities who quickly went out to see if it were true that if he'd actually done that uh, upon finding that grave uh, after several days they dug in the area and dug up the, the mother who was indeed dead, but to their surprise, the two girls were alive. The girls were found alive, and this is what they said. A man wearing shiny white clothes with bleeding wounds in his hands came every day and fed us. Now, I tell you that not because I'm trying to validate it as a story out of missions. I'm trying to tell it as a story that we live within the confines of earth. And there is a veil, a very thin veil, between earth and heaven, between the natural and the supernatural. And I believe it is God's intent for us to live and move and breathe in the dimension of the supernatural and the spiritual. And too often in our life, what we do is we relegate things to not possible because it's not we haven't experienced it or it doesn't make sense to the reasonable mind. But when we think about that, how many things would have shown up and passed the report of today's media that are in the Bible? Just think for a moment the miracles that took place. The miracle of the rain with Noah, the feeding of Elijah. Think about the miracle of walking on water or a man rising from the dead. Now I do believe what we've done is we've lived our life so much in the expected and the natural that God is not welcoming the supernatural into our life. We're not opening the doors that God wants to open in order for us to experience Him in all of His glory and all of His power. I, uh, I tell you this story because it's a part of the miracle. Part of the miracle is we have been on a journey for nine months, and I can't even begin to tell you how many times I would get in my car on a Sunday morning, and I would drive to El Rancho, and my eyes would tear up, and I would think, God, is this even going to work? And my heart would just be heavy, and I would think, God, I don't even know if anybody's going to show up. And you know, and, I, and I, I was fighting against the natural. I was fighting against what God had shown me He was going to do and what miracle God was going to work. And how God had put all the pieces together in a way that He designed. Nine months ago, we had a choice. We had a choice to say, we're going to start a church, or we're going to move somewhere. 
and just take over something and do something. And I tell you right now, I am so glad that we started Influence Church. And I say it for so many reasons, but one of the main reasons is when I hear the stories from your mouth, thanking me, which I don't deserve the thank for this at all, but thanking me that we started this church because of what it's done for your faith and how your life has taken on a new dimension of living and believing. And I was going back through, I've tried to chronicle as much as I can remember the weeks and the days and all the things that God has done. And I was just reading back through it last night and I thought, wow, I forgot about that. Oh yeah. And some of the things were just hard and some things were funny and some things were just faith-filled. I, I remember at El Rancho when people didn't like the folding chairs and they started bringing in beach chairs. <laughs> and the problem was those beach chairs took up like two and a half spaces. You know, they were the ones with the umbrella stand on them and everything else and, you know, and the cup holders. And now we've got you cup holders. But God was working then and God is working now to work a miracle in our midst. Last week I told you that in order to get the building, the amount of money to put our, our offer in on the building, that we needed $300,000, either, either in a gift or in a loan. And uh, that didn't include the, the, the improvements we would have to make and the renovation of that. That was just to get the building because we've got to get in the building first. And after the service, someone came up to me, a couple came up to me and said, we'll, we'll guarantee the $300,000. You know, and I mean, really, I mean, if you stop and think about it, God has allowed us to put together in the last really three weeks, almost $3 million worth of either cash or loans. And I don't know about you, but for a fledgling church of nine months old, with really not much of a financial track record, that's a pretty good miracle, amen? I mean, you just go try to get a loan. And then, then this past week, it was kind of exciting because we, uh, you know, our, your faithfulness, and as Tammy said, people have come by and people have, have just said, I want to be a part of this. And, and I think some of the great stories, one of the great stories that I really enjoy was one on Monday night at Men's Bible Study where uh, a guy handed me a check, and I go, hey, thank you. And I didn't open it, didn't look at it. And he goes, oh, it's, uh, it's not for me. And I said, really? And he said, no, it's a guy I work with, and he's never been to influence, and he lives too far to come. But he heard all of the, when I was telling about it, he heard about it, and he just wanted to be a part of what God was doing. And I thought, you know, I love those kind of things. Because it says that we're influencing people for the cause of God, for, for God's name, that it might be glorified and might be honored. I want to give you a couple, of, uh, a couple of wilderness reports, and here's the first one. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. Have you ever heard that before? Somebody made us some shirts, and, and we took them to men's Bible study, and they, you thought we were, we were giving away gold. I mean, they just went like that. Guys are looking around and goes, where are the rest of the shirts? I don't know, they're gone. And it was so good because on Monday night we had, had uh, so many men, we had uh, like 75 men, we had part of them inside and part of them outside and there was a window there and I stood at the window and I was speaking to both groups and so the ones outside were having heaters and they had big coats on. That's how you qualified to be outside. If you showed up with a coat to the Bible study, you went outside. 
And somebody took a picture, Grant took a picture of me and he, and he sent it to me. He says, it looks like you're teaching through a drive-up window. And those are the things that are going to be rich in our heritage and rich in our history that, that we just made it happen. We made it work because we were determined that God was doing something in our midst and we weren't going to turn to the left or the right. We were just going to go forward with the whole process. And you know, when you, when you think about that veil that, that, li that lives somehow between the natural and the supernatural, crossing it is not hard. It's impossible. It's impossible from the natural man to cross into that dimension of the supernatural without faith. And the miracles that God wants to do in your life and in my life in this church are all tied back to our faith. I found that the great journeys of life begin on the inside, not on the outside. It's that determination to say, I'm going to go down that road. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to change someone's life. I'm going to pray for someone. I'm going to believe God for something. Those are the great journeys of life. And the veil that, that's there, it's lifted by Christ. That's who lifts the veil. And I think it's, it's appropriate all through this message just to be praying something like, God, lift the veil from my heart. Let me see more of the supernatural. Let me live more in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Because that's what the church is supposed to be. There's a poem that was written by Amy Carmichael uh, probably over 100 years ago. And it's always been a special poem for me. I've written it in the front of my Bible, and I, every once in a while I go back and I look it over. It's actually one that was inspired by uh, Nehemiah, uh, the biblical character who rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem. But listen to the words she said and how she penned that that fortitude and that integrity that Nehemiah had as he persevered in the midst of his struggles to do what God had called him to do. She writes, Make us thy laborers. Let us not ever dream of looking back. Let our, not our knees be feeble, our hands be slack. Oh, make us strong to labor, strong to bear, from the rising of the morning till the stars appear. Make us thy warriors, on whom thou can depend, to stand the brunt of any perilous charge on any front. Give to us skill to handle the sword and the spear, from the rising of the morning until the stars appear. Not far from us, those stars, unseen as angels, yet looking through the quiet air, the day's transparent blue. What shall we know and feel and see and hear? When the sunset colors kindle and the stars appear. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of that kind of a movement. Give me a sword. Give me a shield. Give me a hammer. But I'm going to work through the night until the stars appear. In Exodus chapter 26 and verse 31, I want to just read one scripture. It serves as the foundation for what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the veil in the tabernacle that separated the Holy of Holies, from the outer court. And these simple little words, but packed with so much meaning, you shall make a veil of woven blue, purple, and scarlet thread. And of fine linen, it shall be woven with artistic design of cherubim. The cherubim, of course, were those heavenly creatures, those two winged creatures that stood there transfixed over the Ark of the Covenant, representing the very presence of God. 
Immediately when you saw that curtain, you would say, this is of another world. This is of another place, another dimension. And each of those colors chosen by God for a reason. The blue, of course, a, a reminder of heaven. In Ezekiel 1.26, it says, And above the firmament over their heads was a likeness of a throne. This was the throne of God in appearance like a sapphire stone. So God tells us my stone is, my, my throne is like a stone carved from sapphire. The purple, of course, royalty. It says of Jesus, they clothed him with purple, they twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head, and when they had mocked him, saying, King of the Jews, when they had mocked him, they took the purple off, they put his clothes back on him, and had led him away to crucify him. And of course, that scarlet thread of sacrifice where God writes there through the Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet and he says, come let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be white like wool. And we begin to understand something of what God was doing. When you study the veil in scripture, the veil is a, is, is a reminder of hiddenness. It hides the glory of God in some instances. You know, people ask me sometimes, you know, I don't understand why I can share the Word of God with people and I, and I read the Scripture and they don't see it, they don't understand it. Just write the Scripture down, it'll, it'll bring clarity. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, The God of this world has blinded the eyes of the unbelieving to keep them from seeing the true light of the gospel, which is the glory of God. You see, you can't understand the Bible. You can't see spiritual things if blindness is over your eyes. And in some cases, the enemy blinds your eyes to keep you from seeing the heart of the gospel, the life of the gospel. Sometimes the heart hides the gospel. Sometimes we just shut it out. It's not the enemy at all. It's just us saying, not now, not, not you, not this, maybe never. Also, the veil talks about, is referred to in Scripture as Christ's flesh is called a veil, and once you took away the veil of God, once Jesus died on the cross, and you saw the miracle of the resurrection, you understood who he really was. He wasn't just a man. He was the God-man who gave himself for us. And then in that tabernacle, it hid the very presence of God. And that's what I want to begin talking to you about today, is the entrance into his presence. We can enter into his presence by a step, if we could just picture it like that. By faith, when we say, I enter into your presence. I enter into your presence, God. May your glory infill me. May your knowledge surround me. May I be aware of who you are. Listen to what it says in Psalm 1611. You will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. You know what happens when I get in the presence of God? Joy comes to my life. You ever seen somebody that's just not happy? You ever just been not happy and wondered, why am I not happy? Everything's going right in my life, but why am I not happy? Because when we're not in the presence of God, we can't have joy. I love standing in line at the coffee shop, and it seems that my office is getting more crowded every day. But I stand there, and, I, and I'm an observer of people, and I'm, an, and I'm, and I'm a wonderful eavesdropper. I love to hear what's going on. Anybody like that? I mean, I'm like a professional at it. I'm just kind of observing, I'm listening, and, and God just gives me extra hearing in those moments because he wants me to listen, I'm sure. 
And I was listening to a, a, a lady in front talk to another lady, and she was talking about just how unhappy she was. And I thought, this is a great time to just jump in the conversation. <laughs> and I said, I hear you're unhappy. And she looked at me like she was going to rip my head off. <laughs> and I knew I had to move into the Jesus world fast. And I says, well, you know, I just am a Christian and I just love being in the presence of God and he brings joy to my life and I know he wants to bring joy to your life and maybe I'm right here so you can be happy. And one little corner of her mouth went up. I thought she was going to spit on me. She said, you know, you're right. I'm a Christian and I don't live in that presence. Thank you for reminding me. You know, you know what we need? We just need more of us to help each other. I mean, it's not just the people you know, the, the Christian community. We need one another to encourage because I don't know if you've noticed it lately. There's a lot of reasons that people can find to be discouraged. Well, listen to what it says in Micah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to his house that he may teach us about his ways and that we may walk in his paths. You see, when you begin to go up to the house of God, you begin to learn how to walk in His ways. How about Psalm 16.8? I have set the Lord continually before me. What's in front of you? Your obstacles, your problems, your difficulties, your struggles, or the Lord? I sometimes just say to God, you got me in this mess, you're going to have to get me out. I mean, you got me in this faith journey. You, you, you told me in the scriptures that I should walk by faith. I do it. And now what do I do, God? I, I'm going to set you before me, and I, I'm just going to let you be there because you are my right hand, it says, and I will not be shaken. And then Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. That sounds kind of warm, doesn't it? Abide in the shadow of the Almighty. And I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Have you ever noticed how just reading Scripture tends to change your attitude? Even with very little comment, the Word of God is so powerful and so rich, and we're just infusing on each other now the Word of God, and the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces that division of soul and, and spirit, and that soulish man is always the person who's trying to be critical or cynical or negative or too overly reasonable against the veil of the Spirit of God. But when the Word of God begins to settle down in me, I'm going, yes, that feels good. I feel like I'm being bathed from heaven. And that indeed is what it is. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 18, and see something of this veil that's spoken of in Scripture. It was Moses. He went up on the mountain of God. Remember that scene? And he goes up there, and it says he, he was in the very presence and the glory of God. And the Bible tells us in the Old Testament that his face shone with the glory of God, but as he came down off the mountain, the glory would begin to fade as he left the presence of God. So guess what he did? He did what every one of us do. He put a veil over his face to, to hide the fading glory. You know what you do? How you do that? Ever, ever been just not happy and somebody said, hey, how you doing? Uh, how's God treating you and everything? You go, great. Everything's great. I just love God. And inside you're going, I'm not even sure if God showed up at my house today. But you put on that mask because you're, you're a little bit embarrassed to say, you know, right now my life sucks. And I'm not happy. And God hadn't answered a prayer in, in I don't know how long. 
and everybody around me is getting answers to prayer except me. You ever feel like that? Raise your hand if you ever felt like that. Well, the rest of you, we need to talk to you. You are so close to Jesus. But seriously, that not that the struggle of life that we go through and, and we just, you know, we're glad somebody got blessed, but we'd like God to be blessing us for a little while. Amen? Amen. I'm not selfish. I don't want anything taken away. God just want to value add on my side. And sometimes we don't understand. Maybe we're, maybe we're not moving down this faith dimension. Maybe in part it is that we're just really not realizing that the timing of God and the hand of God or the faith of God that we need to have in our life is just not activated to the level it should be. But listen to what it says. Therefore, since we have great hope, just remind yourself, you have great hope. Confident assurance in what God has promised God will provide. We use great boldness of speech. You know, if, you're, if you've got great hope, you got great speech. you got confidence. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face so the children of Israel could not see this, look steadily at what, the end of what was passing away, but their minds were blinded. For until, that, until this day, the veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. Why is it Jews can't see Scripture? Spiritual blindness. Why is it a person without Christ can't see, re understand Scripture? Spiritual blindness. It tells you right here. But even to this day when Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That doesn't mean you instantly know the entire Bible and in and out and all those kind of things. But now, the, now it says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There is liberty. There's freedom in Christ. But we all with an unveiled face, you see, as Christians, we have an unveiled face. We are beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. I can see God's glory every day. I enter into God's presence every day, and I'm being transformed from the same image of glory to glory just by the Spirit who is the Lord. There's a guy that I talked to at, uh, at the, the local coffee shop, and, and uh, as I walked up, I was getting ready to have a meeting with a couple of guys, and he came up to me and he said, uh, could you pray for my mother? And she's not well, and she's on her deathbed. And I think what he expected me to do was just kind of jot her name down, go home and pray for her sometime, and I said, let's pray right here. And so we stood out there in the parking lot, me, two other guys, and, and this guy, my hand on his shoulder, praying for him. I've been trying to get this guy for some time, and I'm thinking, you know what? And I've just, I've done everything from everything that you can do, you know, ask him to come, be nice to him, be friends, drink coffee with him, make him feel guilty. <laughs> well, you know, you can get to that point if you have to. You've got a, got a strong arm of guy into Jesus, you've got to do it. That's just all there is to it. And so, and all of a sudden, as I was praying for him, the Holy Spirit said, you know, I do things in my way. This is not about the invite. This is about you ministering to him. Everybody knows this guy. I don't know how many people saw him in the parking lot with my hand on his shoulder praying for him. I saw him the next day. I said, how's your mom? Welled up with tears. Not much change. I said, we're still praying for you. I know you are. I know you are. And we begin to talk about miracles. So let me tell you about a miracle. There was a lady that was blind in my church when I first pastored, and she, um, she, was, she was in her, really in the final kind of days of her life, and she was laying there, and I went by just to read some scripture to her. 
And so I opened up my Bible and I started reading the Bible to her. And all of a sudden she sat up in her bed and she said, I can see. And I thought, what a great faith healer I am. (laughs) I said, this woman is now setting up on her bed and instantly has her vision back. And I said, can you see me? She said, no, dummy. She said, I see Jesus. And he's bidding me to come over. And she laid down and died. Now, that's a miracle. That's a miracle. And I told him that story. And I thought, isn't it interesting how God has a way of getting things done that's different than how we get things done? Let me talk to you a little bit about the sacrifice of his life. We said earlier our journey has been a journey, really as a, as a church, a journey of sacrifice. We've pursued the unknown in the pursuit of a dream. And I'll just say to each of you, it's not possible. This hasn't been possible without each of you. Being patient with, you know, the mistakes we made or the miscommunication or not being able to get sound right or lights right or bad sermons or whatever else went along with it. You were there for that. And we did, everything we do is the first time we do it. I remember when I said, we're going to do a sunrise service. And then I went back and looked at what time sunrise was. And I said, what am I thinking? (laughs) Will anybody show up? And all of a sudden, I see hundreds of people showing up in pajamas. I thought, this is awesome. Bringing their own chairs, sitting out there. And we had, if you remember at El Rancho, we had that great big outside, that great big door, out back, big garage door. And on it was painted a giant coyote because that was their mascot. And so somebody, you know, got up there and they hung a big tarp kind of thing or a, some kind of a, of a rug and it was hanging up there and it was stuck with duct tape to hide the coyote because it didn't seem appropriate on Easter morning to have the coyote on as our backdrop. And somewhere before I got up to preach, the rug fell down. And it made it worse because now it was a coyote with round pieces of duct tape stuck all over his head. And if you go back and look at the pictures, Easter has the coyote in the backdrop. I'm going, only God could keep this thing going. Who shows up at Easter expecting a great performance and gets a coyote? That's part of the journey. There are times when our only response was prayer. I, I, one of the guys I like to read from England, he's, he said this, he always responded to every impulse with prayer. Always respond with every impulse to prayer. If God, Tammy said it earlier, if God prompts you to pray, just pray. Say, don't go, I'll pray later. Just pray now. Pray now. Just say, stop, I'm praying now. I'm not praying later, I'm praying now. Why? Because the Spirit of God, you see, He was moving right then in that moment. He wanted to connect the spiritual with your life, and He had to do it in, a, in that way at that time. It was an opportune time for you to connect with God. I love this scripture in Matthew 27. It's one of those unusual scriptures, but it takes us back to the veil. Remember, there's this big veil that was probably about 18 inches thick in its material. It was about 40 feet high. It stood there in the temple where uh, in Jerusalem when Jesus was on earth before he was crucified, that big temple. And when he was crucified and he cried out his last voice, it says the veil in the temple ripped from the top to the bottom. A miracle of God. 
It was symbolic of allowing man to go into the very presence of God. Listen to what it says. And Jesus cried out again in a loud voice. He yielded up his spirit. Then behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. And I love this next part. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. I read that and I go, that's the weirdest verse I've ever read in my life. That's zombies. That's all I think I can think of. How do I put that in today's language? I got zombies running around Jerusalem in the Bible, and I, I don't know how to, what to do with that. And I, I, I tell you, I've brought this before God a hundred times. I said, God, why did you put that in there? That, I don't even know how to explain it. And God remind me, you can't explain almost anything that I tell you. <laughs> Just let it say what it says. God was raising the dead. He's going to do it again. He's done it before. And it says, so when the centurion, those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, the greatest understatement of Scripture, they feared greatly. They feared greatly, saying, truly this was the Son of God. He cried out with a loud voice. The battle against spiritual forces had reached a pinnacle now. They had tried to break him. They had tried to bend him. They had tried to tempt him. They had tried to pull him away from that destiny. Even one of the disciples said, I'll not let you go to the cross. Jesus looked at Peter and said, get you behind me, Satan, for the truth is not in you. He was pushing him back saying, you don't understand what this is all about. Jesus saw the finish line and he put in us a desire to see the finish line, to, to, to run the course that God has set before us, to live our life with integrity and honesty and truthfulness and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gave us a motivation right there. It was when he rose and cried out, it was, he said, the sin of mankind is forgiven and I'm going to give you eternal life. I did not yield to sin. You don't need to yield to sin either. Don't think you don't have power over sin. You do. You've got the Holy Spirit of God. You've got all of God living in you. What's he supposed to be doing in there? First thing he does is remodel the house. You know about remodeling the house? My wife says, I'm going to remodel the house. I said, oh, no. Just going to move some furniture around. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He comes in your heart. He starts moving furniture. That's in the way. That doesn't belong anymore. That's old. It's got to go. you got to get some new stuff in here. And God says, I'm going to put some new stuff in you. And when I put new stuff in you, you're going to function differently. And that, that, mo that model of God transforming and remodeling your heart is going to be ongoing, not stopping. Sometimes you're in a battle. Jesus was in a battle. You're discouraged and tired. That's okay. Just don't give up. You don't know the outcome. Who does? Just keep moving forward. You, you want to look back, don't do it. It's not productive. Anybody ever change the past by looking back, dwelling on it, getting mad about it, worrying about it? No, it never happens. You got right now, right now. Finally, you cry out like Jesus with a loud voice. You yield to God. You release it all to God and goes, God says, now that's what I've been waiting for. I've just been waiting for you to give it up. You've been working too hard, too long, trying too much to think it was all about you. It never was about you. You just thought it was about you. It was always about me. And as soon as you figure that out, then you can move on with life. Then there is the glories that are to come. I like this little phrase, thy kingdom come. Let's just say it together. Ready? Thy kingdom come. Now, the real question is, when? It is to come. Thy kingdom is to come. Pray 
Pray this now. Thy kingdom come. When? One day or now? No, it's now. Right, pray right now. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth right now as it's already being done in heaven. So the idea is we want to release the kingdom to earth right now. We want to see God moving in our midst. Hudson Taylor, the missionary to China, was hated by other missionaries. Probably one of the most successful missionaries. He was hated because he refused to live in the little missionary compounds. He started something called China Inland Missions, where they would go into the interior where no missionaries wanted to go. He also dressed like the Chinese. He grew his hair, had pigtails. He took tea bags, and he, and he would get the, 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 uh, the fermentation from them, and he would rub them all over his face to try to make his face look darker so he could blend in with the Chinese. He became so effective. He gave away more than $3 million in the early 1800s because it just kept coming in. He said, I don't need all this. I've got to help other missions. It was loved. He identified with people. When we identify with people, people love us. People can relate to us. We've got neighbors that are Muslims. I love it because this time of year, my Muslim neighbor will bring me a Christmas present. I remember the first year he came walking down. I thought he was totally crazy. He was in pajamas and a big Christmas present in his hand. I thought, this is the wrong neighborhood. And I said, what are you doing? And a big smile on his face, I love this holiday. We don't have a good holiday like this. I love this holiday. We've had him in our home. They know where we stand. We share Christ. We pray for them, and they pray for us. And I don't say, don't pray for me, you're Muslim. I say, thank you. Because people want to know you care. Hudson Taylor said, it's possible to move men through God by prayer alone. Just move men for God just by prayer alone. We need an audacious faith, faith to believe God. Last week we announced we needed about $300,000. Turned out we need a little bit more than that, and, and the person who said they'd do three decided they would do four. And that was to get our building, and we, we are ready now to make the offer in the building, and now we just need to put the money, because the first investor, we need to get all the money together for all the TI that we're going to do, and we're going to do it really, really, we're going to do it Dutch style. I, everybody I tell how much it's going to, uh, we're, we're going to, 500000 I go, you can't do it for that. I go, we're going to do it for that. We're going to have money left over. I, you say, how? I don't know. doesn't matter. We're going to get it done. And so uh, I'll just tell you, you know, we need basically $113,000 this Thursday to verify to the lender. And I uh, walked in this morning, and I got two checks that totaled 30000 of that 113 already. Last night I got the confirmation of another ten, and so that's what thirty, thirty, forty thousand dollars of that hundred and thirteen. And I just, I all I want to say to you is, if God moves you to give, would you give? And it, and the Bible says if you give willingly, God will bless you. And if you can't give willingly, that's okay. Just keep it, just keep it. 
See, I really believe there's this veil of the spiritual and the and the and the unspiritual of the natural, the supernatural and the and the natural. And and somehow when we begin to move into it and through it, God begins to do things we never would have expected. I just I don't worry about it. I go to bed and say, Are you worried about it? I go, no, I go to bed, I sleep. This is God's problem, not mine. You have resources, I have resources, and when we release them to the kingdom, we always are the greatest beneficiary. So we'll see what God does. See how God moves your heart, moves my heart. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Thus God determined to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. That means God never changes the way he does things. Confirmed it by an oath. By two immutable or unchanging things, which it's impossible for God to lie. That's good news. Don't you think? That we might have strong consolation who have fled for a refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. You hold it. You take the hope. God, I hope in you. you. You hold on to it. This hope we have is a sure anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. There it is. When I lay hold of the hope that is set before me, I can enter into the presence that is behind the veil. You know what the presence is? The presence of God. I enter into the presence of God. I don't know about you, but just church without the presence of God is a waste of time. Christianity without the presence of God is a waste of time. Life without the presence of God is a waste of time when it's all said and done. I want to live and breathe in the presence of God where the forerunner has entered. Look at this. Uh, for us, even Jesus having become the high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 10, 19 through 25. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way and which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. There it is. Through that faith in Jesus who died, I understand something of this presence. And having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart full of assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, that's what I have to disbelieve. God is faithful. I'm faithless. God is faithful. That's the good news. Look up and down the aisle for just a moment. And now say it to the person next to you, whether you know him or not. I will let you down someday. Better just get it off the table right now. You ever heard anybody say, well, you let me down? I said, I know, that's what I do. <laughs> what? Yeah, that's what I do. I'm human. That's kind of what my MO is. I just kind of let you down. I'm not perfect. I'll do my best to, to not let you down, but I will let you down. You see, sometimes we get a view of people that's so heavenly and so divine that the moment you see a little kink in their armor, you just it all falls apart. You say, well, that guy, I don't know about that guy. What about you? One of my favorite preachers was a guy named S.M. Lockridge. He's a black preacher. I love the black preaching. I taught in a black seminary when I was in New Orleans. And S.M. Lockridge used to say, you know, when I'm pointing one finger at you, I'm pointing three back at me. Because I'm three times more guilty than you are of what I'm telling you. It's just my job to tell you. 
Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, Lockridge was his name. I love that name. People just don't come up with creative names like that anymore. Anthony and Marissa, I suggested a name to them for their new little boy, and they didn't like it. Malaher Shalal Hashbaj. That was Isaiah's son's name. I thought it was a good biblical name. I've never heard anybody use a good name like that. Malaher Shalal Hashbaj. But anyway, look what it says here in verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. To stir us up. We need to be stirred up for love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, we, it's important for us to be together. It's important to be together. We've got to stir each other up. And it says, as a matter of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. In other words, if you can look at, at time and you say, you know what, this world is getting better. I wonder if we're closer to the end. Every time you can say that, say, you know what, I need to stir somebody up to love and good work. Just stir them up. Stir up the Spirit of God within them for love and good work. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. I found that miracles follow miracles. When I get myself positioned and I begin to see God work, it seems that God keeps working. When I shut up the, 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 the flow of God, I can't get anything going. I just have to somehow break through. And once I break through, and say, God, I'm just going to trust you, believe you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do, see what's next. God, start unfolding things in my heart and my life. They just start coming. You know why? Because now I'm, I'm living in this dimension of the spiritual instead of this dimension of the natural. And the natural miracles don't happen. Only in the supernatural do they happen. You just live in it. I just live in it. God, I, this book that you have, it's all about miracles. <clears throat> It's time you start producing miracles. Time you come through, God. Come on. What are you waiting for? I just expect it. I'm not asking. I expect it. I expect miracles to happen in my life. I expect miracles to happen in your life and all around us. <clears throat> Secondly, this is just the beginning. If you'll say that every day, this is just the beginning of the good things God is doing, you live in hope. Remember, hope is what you lay all hold of, and it allows you to pull yourself into the very presence of God. Hope does not disappoint you because God's Spirit has been poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. Amen? It's kind of fun stirring the Word of God, huh? At least I'm having fun. I don't know about you. I think the most fun you had was looking at your neighbor and finally being able to say, I'll let you down. <laughs> Let's pray together. Father, as we pray, we are made aware of your presence by your Spirit. And it is our intent and our hope and our prayer, God, that as a church, we will not relegate ourselves into that realm of the common. That, Father, we will understand there is a thin veil that lies between the natural and the supernatural, between the spiritual and and the non-spiritual. And Father, it is uh, incumbent upon us, God, that we seize those moments, that we, that we reach out with all that is within us, Father, and we really enjoy your presence. Would all of you right now, just in your heart, say, God, I welcome your presence into my life. Just say it in your heart. You can say it out loud. God, I welcome your presence in my life. You say, God, Holy Spirit, Fill me now. 
Let me feel the warmth of your spirit like a wave that comes over me from the right to the left. Just let that flow come over you right now. Let the Spirit of God minister to your heart. Let him bring power and wisdom and knowledge and faith in abundance. May there be even waves of liquid love that are flowing over you right now, washing away hurt and pain and discouragement and defeat that you might live in the power and the presence of Almighty God. 